Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the 2019 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, The Dangers and Opportunities of Growing Hemp, is brought to you by Midwest Biotech. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Midwest Biotech for sponsoring today's episode. Midwest Biotech markets the complete line of Chandler crop products that enhance plant growth and soil health. To improve soil health, farmers need reliable and easy to understand measurements of soil biology, chemistry, and structure. Midwest Biotech recently opened their new soil health lab to provide practical information based on quick and affordable methods, including the Solveda suite of soil health tests. Contact Midwest Biotech to learn how you can manage carbon, nitrogen, and other important resources that contribute to soil health and your bottom line. Visit them at MidwestBioman.com. Steve Groff is no doubt well known to many of you. The longtime no-tiller from Holtwood, Pennsylvania is a frequent speaker at ag conferences and events, and he's been at the forefront of the cover crop movement for several years as a founder of the Cover Crop Innovators, the developer of tillage radish genetics, and much more. With his latest venture, Hemp Innovators, Graf is helping producers navigate the murky waters of the emerging industrial hemp industry. Graf brings his 25 years of experience in cover crop research and deep roots in studying hemp planting to this new arena with his customary intelligence and common sense. In this episode, we hear from Graf on the topic of industrial hemp, speaking at the Pennsylvania No-Till Alliance Field Days, which occurred in July 2019. Explaining everything from hemp basics to best methods for weed control, general fertility tips, and what can go wrong with your hemp crop, Graf explains why he thinks hemp is a good crop for no-tillers, despite the risks. Join me now in welcoming Steve Groff. Notice that what I titled this talk is The Dangers <laughs> and Opportunities of Growing Hemp, because that really does typify what's before us. So we're going to stay really basic today. So you've all probably heard that uh, the 2018 Farm Bill essentially legalized the growing of hemp across the nation, but each state has to ratify some sort of a plan for that. And Pennsylvania was right on it. And they did immediately. So that made it legal to grow industrial hemp, fiber hemp, CBD hemp, anything that has less than 0.3 THC. THC is the psychotic drug that we hear about in this plant. So uh, that's a little bit of history now for me personally. Uh, you might wonder, you know, why I got into this so much, you might say right now, because I've been watching this for a long time. This is me back in 1999. I grew sun hemp. Ironically, sun hemp then, that was considered a fiber crop. That's on my farm right there, by the way. Today, we saw sun hemp out here used as a cover crop. And that was my introduction to sun hemp. And I kind of, instead of using for fiber, we decided to use it for cover crop, summer cover crop. So uh, in 1999, a little history, Penn State University, a couple extension agents, and the Pennsylvania Farm Bureau was trying to influence the legislator to legalize the growing of industrial hemp. Suffice it to say, we were ahead of our time. That fell flat. So um, something I have been interested in for a while, and that's just that history I wanted to say. So 
all different kinds of hemp. Um, seed and fiber is what had been grown in this area for hundreds of years. Those of you who are from Lancaster County know Hemp Field, East and West Hemp Field Townships. Why were they named that? A lot of hemp mills there processing seed and fiber hemp. That's no coincidence, that's a true story. There, I had heard that there was up to 152 hemp mills in Lancaster County alone at one time in the late 1800s. This crop has been a part of Pennsylvania's history, a part of our nation's history. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, just look at some of their quotes. One of them, presidents, I forget which one, said that you know, hemp is a very foundational part of agriculture. Um, so um, this is just a picture here of a variety that's about the tallest one you can get. That's about 18 feet tall. I don't think anybody is growing it that tall around here, but I'm just showing you there's all kinds of different types of hemp. So if you want to, give, I want to give you the quick version of how to help understand the different types of hemp. I'm going to use the analogy of corn. So Gerard, if I want to eat corn myself tonight for supper, what kind of corn would I get? Sweet corn. Sweet corn. If I wanted to pop corn for a Sunday afternoon snack, what kind of corn would I use? Popcorn. If I want to grow silage, silage corn. If I want to feed my animals, silage, grain. So corn has all these different genetic expressions of corn for different uses. Same thing for hemp. You have hemp that can be grown like this. Very good in fiber. You can make clothing out of it. You can make all kinds of things. A lot of plastics can be replaced from the hemp uh, resins in the plant. You can use the seed. The seed is very healthy. It can be made into flour. It can be pressed. The oil can be pressed in it. Then we have the, the flower buds, which you can um, extract oils that are generally good for human uh, for to, to aid in anxiety, depression, chronic diseases, stiff joints, things like that. In the 1800s, late 1800s, almost every family had cannabis in their medicine cabinet. That's what they call it at that point, cannabis. It was a natural healer, natural remedy. Then we have what we have heard of, all heard about marijuana. Marijuana was certain parts of these hemp plants that were selected to help to make you get a high, a short-term high that we hear about. That's what has been regulated. And the term marijuana, you cannot find that term before the 1900s. That was only, I'll just say, created in the early 1900s. And then that led to the prohibition of the whole hemp family. It would be like, Let's just say there would be something with popcorn that we wouldn't like, and we say, okay, nobody's growing any silage corn anymore because that popcorn is bad. That's what happened when hemp became illegal because of the marijuana side. Now today, we're coming back and say, hey, there's some good parts of this plant, let's grow it. I understand there's some political things and everything good, and I'm not gonna get into that. I wanna give you some background of where we're at here today. So fiber is one interest to grow. The other is the CBD. CBD is short for 
try to say this right, cam, cannabid oil, which is the properties that generally help human health in a good way. This is just a flower of that plant, the buds that are in there. Those buds are harvested, sometimes just the top part of the plant, and they are extracted different types of components. CBD is one, there's CBH, there's CBGs, there's CBNs. There's a lot, there's a whole list of, we'll say, good properties in this plant. And some plants are selected to produce different types. Uh, Hershey Medical Center has identified one already that they are saying can kill colon cancer cells. So I'm just saying that some of the stuff that's out there, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of uses for this plant and hence the euphoria, if I will say, over this, because right now, plants like that are worth a lot of money. Just a quick, just shout it out. How much have you heard that farmers can make per acre? How much have you heard? I'm not saying it's true or not. 60,000. 60,000? 80,000. 80,000. Per acre. 40,000, 70,000. So this is like, that's just crazy. I'll say this, you want to know my perspective. That is possible. So it's not a far-fetched thing, but I'll also say there's probably no one in this tent that's gonna do that. I think that's a fair statement. Uh, so theoretically, you can do the math with the prices and everything, that is possible and if you have the right market, and if you get paid. Remember I said dangers? We're gonna talk about that a little bit later on. So, um, where I come out, I grow tomatoes, pumpkins, and squash. I'm a vegetable farmer. If I can compete with that, I'm pretty happy. That's where I'm at, personally. So I think, realistically, we have a lot to learn. Some of those numbers that you hear are best case scenario, and frankly, we don't know how to grow this plant yet. We got a good start, uh, but will it work? Big, big question, will it work in our more humid conditions? Most of the what has been done in the past three or four years has been Colorado and Oregon, and now Kentucky. Colorado and Oregon are both way drier than us. Will the genetics work here? Right now, the genetics we're using are the best genetics we've heard about, probably in other states. It'd be like trying to get a corn variety from Kansas. The best variety of corn in Kansas may not work in Pennsylvania. Someone said that 80% of the varieties we're using with hemp probably will not be used next year. That may be true, it may not, but it makes a point. Uh, so I'm just saying some of these things for you to be aware of. So um, this is a little hard to see, but part of that's intentional. There you can see some hemp growing. This picture was taken last week on my farm. Uh, but you can also see that there is green cover crops growing between the hemp rows. And the way I did that is we grew a cover crop. By the way, some of you have been to my farm. I did not know last fall that I'd be growing hemp. So I didn't really prepare like I should have. So I kind of used the fields I had. This is one of my better fields. It was Harry Betts and Triticale rolled it down with a roller, immediately went in there and I set my no-till drill up to plant uh, GPS on the tractor. So I set it up to plant uh, grasses in the middle, some low-growing perennial grasses, 
actually some rye, because you can plant cereal rye this time of year, it doesn't put a stem on because it didn't fertilize. Then I planted some clovers next to the row. On the row, I didn't plant anything. And then right beside the row, I, planted, I put some um, biological fertilizers. So we had the drill portioned off. Are you with me here? So with GPS, we rolled. With GPS, we planted. With GPS, we came back, actually, we planted a cover crop. Then with GPS, we came back and transplanted into that. So we have this all kind of uh, set out here. So we'll see how it works. Um, but um, this is the angle I'm going at. So genetics, I wanna, I wanna talk about genetics. One of the things you'll quickly find, everyone you talk to that's selling anything say they have the best. I laugh now, you know. You call up someone, you talk to someone, oh, we have the best hemp. We have the best CBD. So that's kind of, we're, we're going into a different culture because what you have here, and I'm just gonna be really frank with you today. Um, you have um, the, the, I'll try to be kind here, but the people who have been growing marijuana, this is comparatively speaking, a good cash crop. They've been growing this, they know how to grow the plant. Now they can kind of come out in the open, so to speak, and plant this. So you have that crowd, and then you have most of us here who are farmers, and we're like, how can we grow this commercially? And there's a big disconnect between growing in your closet versus growing in your fields. You get where I'm going here. So um, also what I found is the culture in business is different as well. You know, we as farmers kind of trust one another. We're pretty straight shooters. If you're not a straight shooter in agriculture, you don't get very far. These guys are always like talking to a used car salesman or something. <laughs> and you, you know, right away that turns me off. I mean, I was out at a conference in Colorado. There was uh, 10,000 people there. And boy, you talk about, uh, I, I, the guy I went out with, I'd said it a couple times, boy, I'm not in Lancaster County anymore. <laughs> uh, you know. So now that's one thing. The other thing is the THC percentage versus CBD percentage. Um, so I jumped down there. We have to be less than 0.3% THC. So all the plants have THC, or the drug, we'll call it, but it's so low at 0.3, it's not detectable. You can't get high off 0.3. As a reference, those who want to get high, they wouldn't consider anything less than 10%. So we're way under that. Um, CBD percentages, generally they get interesting when you get above eight to 10 to 14%. And if anybody's telling you they're growing 20% CBD, they're probably not being truthful. That's really high. Um, so just to give you a benchmark of where these numbers come from, you get paid by the percentage of CBD times the pounds that come off a plant. So the percentage is important. Um, so I have this listed down here. The other thing is common is a certificate analysis. When you buy seeds, they should come with an analysis of what that plant produced uh, the previous year. Uh, so, but that's, you know, that's very subjective. It's very subjective as in any testing that can be done. You guys know this. Uh, it, it can be, um, people can play games on you with that. Um, so. Yep. Dry basis or as far as that? That's on a, that you dry it to uh, about 15% moisture. And we'll, we, I'm not going to get into a lot of details here. We can, if we have some time for questions, we can, we can do that. But that is, um, 
like uh, the percentage of CBD, if it's 10% and you have, uh, you know, one pound per plant, you times the rate of the, they usually pay based on a point. Right now the market's between three and $4 a point. So if it's $3 um, a point, it's 10%, it's $30 a pound. One plant can produce easily one pound. So we're planting 1,760 plants per acre typically, so you can start doing some math there. We'll come back to Steve Croft's talk in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Midwest Biotech, for supporting today's episode. Midwest Biotech markets the complete line of Chandler crop products that enhance plant growth and soil health. To improve soil health, farmers need reliable and easy to understand measurements of soil biology, chemistry, and structure. Midwest Biotech recently opened their new Soil Health Lab to provide practical information based on quick and affordable methods, including the Solvita suite of soil health tests. Contact Midwest Biotech to learn how you can manage carbon, nitrogen, and other important resources that contribute to soil health and your bottom line. Visit them at MidwestBioMan.com. Now let's get back to Steve Groff of Hemp Innovators speaking at the Pennsylvania No-Till Alliance Field Days. Two systems here. One of them is growing with plastic. And I'll just stop there. That is the primary system that is growing in the United States. That's where they're coming from. Um, plastic was in short supply in many areas of the country because of hemp last year. Even our local suppliers, Rainflow Irrigation, Nolts Produce, completely sold out of plastic, completely sold out of raised bedders, completely sold out of water replacements because they were shipping them all over the United States. So it's real, um, which brings up a question, you know, is this just a quick fad? And I'll quickly say, I don't think so, because there's just so much use for it, there's so much design. There will people who will probably get burned this year. And some people, because the infrastructure is not in place yet. Uh, so I'm just putting that out there. If you're growing for people, you want to know who you're growing for, and you want to have some pretty solid commitments out of that. So I'm suggesting not to grow with plastic, but if you have to, I'm not going to talk about that here today because we're no-tillers, use cover crops between the plastic rows. So I had to say that, but let's move on to no-till and cover crops. And I kind of described that a little bit. Um, this is what I'm suggesting here. Use your cover crop roller, grow a cover crop, roll it down, apply glyphosate if needed, a couple days for a transplant. And um, I'm suggesting going and plant another cover crop. You don't have to, that's just what I do. Um, just some real basic information here. Um, usually we're planting here in Pennsylvania last week of May. I think we can push that a little earlier uh, with transplanting maybe. Uh, I, I had this middle of June, it's getting late, but finding out that it's almost like soybeans. Those of you who uh, would plant double crop soybeans, you know, a lot of times down here we'll go to the middle of July. Uh, some people are uh, uh, still have planted hemp in July. I have myself. We've got to see. We've got to find out how it's going to work. So that's kind of the planting window. And I'll just make mention here, the harvesting window is uh, typically middle of September through middle of October, maybe into November. It can take a few frosts, light frosts. Uh, 20, 27 degrees is gonna start devaluing some of the uh, CBD. So we control, we're gonna rely uh, primarily on cover crops or I've been using the sickle mower going uh, like that one, going between the rows just mowing off uh, some of the cover crop, I mow high. I want some flowers in there, some pollinators and so forth. Um, you kind of clip them off a little bit, but that's what I've been doing. 
you might have some better ideas um, out there. And that's just to show the sickle mower there. I'm not going to spend much time on this, but if you're interested and you're working with a crop consultant, treating them the fertility-wise like tomatoes is a good foundation. It's a good foundation. So that's just the easiest thing I can say without going into all the details. For you guys who like big equipment and you're interested in growing fiber hemp, this is a this is one way to do it. They're um, the the Kemper type heads are are the best to cut it. This here, you can't see it, but there's a special plate in there that goes between the feeder house and the head that drops it to the ground instead of going through the machine. Follow that? So in this case here, they're not chopping it. They're just using that to cut it. That's primarily how it's going to be done. They're growing fiber hemp around here. Uh, I've, again, I'm going on what I've heard. Uh, it's pretty tough for disc mowers. They weren't made for that tough material. Uh, there are some sickle bar mowers that have work well in this, especially the double cut sickle bar mowers uh, to do to do this. So when fiber, when there's your ground for fiber, typically you cut it like this, it may not even be this high, let it lay out there for a couple of weeks. Doesn't matter if it has a couple, has some rain on, actually that's good. And the term is it needs to ret, R-E-T-T. -T. There's the retting process. Starts breaking down just a little bit and then you can bail that up with big square balers and then you, then you can run through processing. So those of you who may have heard of my uh, counterpart, Steve Roth, from York County, who I'm not related to very close, but ironically, we've met several times and I'm, I'm working with him in some different stuff. We're same age, we're same personality. It's crazy, it's, it's a, our, our signatures are the same. I gave him my business card, it has my signature on it. He looked at it and said, I'm gonna show this to my wife. She'll think that's my signature. So that was kind of cool, but he's they're they're working mainly with the fiber, some CBD. I'm working mainly with CBDs. So I did kind of explain the difference between the fiber. Uh, the fiber market again is there's lots and lots of different uses for it. Uh, as far as how it affects us as farmers, uh, I know right now that um, Bell and Evans, the chicken people, are testing chickens uh, growing in uh, a fiber bedding versus wood bedding, and they're 50/50. There's been anecdotal evidence that shows that the hemp has some microbial um, attributes to it that lead to healthier chickens. So that's just one thing. I know that they're testing using CBD type stuff in animal feeds. Uh, that is being tested, showing some, uh, it doesn't surprise me. But if you can imagine if we get, if, we, if we're gonna be using hemp, hemp flour, hemp seeds, mixed in our feeds for some health benefits, the market is huge. So getting into how do you harvest the CBD type hemp that looks more like Christmas trees. Here's one uh, apparatus for one row and it basically cuts it off and puts it up on a wagon. You can also do it by hand. The tobacco cutters will work, but you better have strong handles because some of this stuff's two inches in diameter and pretty tough. It's hemp. Uh, so this is some mechanization that's out there that you're going to see more of this um, or this. This is a 15 foot wide, they make 24 foot wide ones. This is like an oversized combine reel with a 40 inch draper type head. It cuts it off, puts it up on the truck, whole plant. Or you can take the top third of the plant off. Sometimes they just do that where the most of the CBD is in the flowers. So this is some of the equipment that's out there. Uh, this is actually the model that's coming to my farm. Um, I'm working with Hempfield Labs and uh, we'll cut uh, some of the stuff that we direct seeded in, in 60 inch excuse me, 30 inch rows, 
we've got six rows at once with that. So we'll see how that works out. So six things that can go wrong. Remember I told you about the dangers? Bad genetics. Some of these times you buy stuff off the internet, you pay them $10,000 for seed, and that seed goes bad, and those people are nowhere to be found. That's happened. Beware who you buy from. Um, and they, they, they are all, but he was so nice. You know, I'm just telling you. Go on references. If they don't give you references, red black. I want to try to keep you from getting in trouble here. Um, of course, bad weather. Well, that's farming. We can, we can, we understand that. But we, we got to know, understand how to grow these plants here in the east. That's one of my biggest concerns, I'll say. How do we grow this plant with high humidity when those flowers are forming? Botrytis is one thing you want to look for, Gerard, when you're scouting your hemp plants. Um, so the other thing is plants can get hot. That's the term we use when they go over 0.3%. You can test them. I was worried about this early on, and that's partly the genetics you get, but also you want to be testing starting about in the middle of August, especially some varieties that might get hot sooner. And then you start testing weekly if you want to, because as the THC will start to rise again, but so does the CBD. So you want the CBD as high as you can get it, but still stay under the THC. So that's how close to the cliff do you want to get. And Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture will be monitoring some fields. Um, they won't get to all of them, they've admitted that. Um, but that's the threshold you have. If it goes over that point three, what happens to it? Well, uh, then I think you're going to have to have a discussion with someone. So the, I, I'm, I am not going to comment totally on that because I'm not the legal person. Uh, and I'm going to tell you about a field day I've coming up here soon. That question is going to be asked publicly to PDA, and we're going to see what they respond. Because the national magazine says if it goes over 0.3, it's got to be destroyed. That is what is stated. That's what's stated. Now, I'll just tell you, there's some practicality come in here. You can mix it and blend it. But how you do that, you better do that under the auspices of someone who knows what you're doing. The real, the real problem is if you're selling it to the public and it's over 0.3. Because you can alter it before it gets to the public. You follow what I'm saying? So um, I got to be really careful what I say, but that is the real thing. You can't, if it's over the counter above 0.3, that's going to be a problem. Um, but, you know, it's just, there, there's probably, I'll answer it this way. We'll see. We'll see what, we'll see what they say, what they do. 0.32, then you have to destroy it. And then how accurate's the test? Well, yeah, but if it, they say it's over, it's over. We'll see. And I don't have the inside scoop, but I'm just giving you some reality here. You know, I don't know. When the speed limit's 55, what can you drive? <laughs> I'm just trying to make a point here. I'm just trying to play no. devil's advocate no. because the federal, the federal government's still involved here. Right. Right. You know, it's a drug. Yeah. And, and I am. Yeah, please don't misunderstand. I'm advocating anything, but I'm also trying to be very realistic here. There are ways to to work it out. And you don't know when they're coming to test your plant. I'm not sure if they're doing surprise visits or not, but it's a little hard to hide your plants. <laughs> I mean, you know, see, just so you know, 
you have to submit your planning date and the GPS references of all your fields. And they, you, when you sign off the permit, they can come anytime. Fine with me. I have nothing to hide. Uh, what we need to get in contact, to, to your point, what is the PD, where is PDA testing? Because there's different parts of the plant that will test differently. And we need to understand what their rules are, and that's not been clear yet. The thing about, I mentioned PDA, and I don't know if anybody's here anymore. PDA wants to make this work. I mean, uh, uh, Russell Redding was here earlier. I've talked about this several times. They want this to work. This, this could be a boon to Pennsylvania agriculture. They're not going to be the policemen. Now, if you're doing stupid stuff, yeah, you should be, you should be taken care of. But they're going to want to work with us. That's the vibe I've picked up. Let's figure this out. Um, and, and so forth. Um, so Steve, when it starts getting up to that point three, mm -hmm. that's when you, gotta, you want to yes. harvest it. So harvesting at that point stops. Yeah, and I've told people that I've said, if it's getting close to point three, you may have to quit making silage on your corn. This is, to your point, if it gets to point three two, that hemp is probably worth more than your silage was. I'm just choosing that to make a point. And that's why some of these farmers are like, oh, I'm going to make a quick buck. And they throw some seeds or plants them out there and expect to reap in 30,000 an acre. Uh-uh. It doesn't work that way. You've got to pay attention to the plant. It is fairly easy to grow, I will say. Fairly disease-resistant, fairly insects. That doesn't seem to be a problem uh, so far. So that part, we would say, is relatively easy. Um, Lower than expected CBD percentages, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed. I think our humid weather here and everything is not going to um, get the CBD percentages that they get out west in drier weather. I'm just, don't know. Um, I'm getting my plants are being tested tomorrow, actually. We're going to do the first test. I think I'm going to get the results soon. Um, we just want to know where that, and they're not even budding yet. We just, I just want to know. Where are we working with? So we and we have to learn the cycle of the plant. So lower the the bottom is a promised market disappears. When I was out Colorado, you know, I said, "Oh, I'm from Pennsylvania." Like, oh yeah, we want to buy your hemp. Okay, I'm in Pennsylvania. Doesn't matter. We'll send a truck out and get it and bring it out. That kind of talk. I don't even want to talk to that person like that. But I hear that. So be careful. Have some sort of a connection with the people you're doing. I mean, you. If, you know, whatever, go visit them. <laughs> I mean, if you have a couple acres and there's someone, go see their facility. Are they extracting now? I had a guy call me from Indiana, said he wants to, uh, he wanted to survive the growing hemp for him. And um, he said, I said, when's your extraction facility ready? He goes, oh, December the 1st. I'm thinking to me, that's June the 1st of 2020. You know what I'm saying? Because when someone says it's not even built yet and they want my stuff, what happens if I ship it out there to Indiana and it rots? Or they don't keep, am I gonna get paid? Probably not. So just some of the things that uh, you might wanna be thinking about. Learn all you can. For those of you who get online to farming, they have a whole list of like 30 or 40 podcasts now. Um, and if you haven't noticed, Lancaster Farming is covering the hemp thing pretty well. It's almost every something every single issue. Um, so I just leave you with this. Um, I'll just about leave you with this. Picture I started out with, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't think we need to use plastic. We're no-till farmers, we're cover farmers. We can do this crop. This crop is good for what we're doing here. We don't have to plant it in April. Wait till the soil warms up. 
Yes, direct seeding is going to come more involved probably uh, in even uh, uh, CBD hemp. So I'm going to have a field day at my farm uh, August the 28th. So if you're interested in this, uh, there'll be advertisements in line with the farming coming up soon um, on website, hempinnovators.com. Um, so uh, you can look that up. I do have monthly meetings at my place. The next one's August 14th, but hempinnovators.com will give you the information on that. I, my role in this is I'm trying to, not that I know it all, because I certainly don't, but we can pull people together here. We can learn, let's learn together. That's, that's my approach to this. What can we learn from each other? Let's learn together. So any more questions quick? Maybe one more question while Jim comes up. Yes, Lisa. Um, so we talk a lot about crops being grown in healthy soils and um, better nutrient uptake, higher nutrient density. And I was just wondering, Steve, if you're growing this hemp in your really good functioning system, what's your gut feeling on what percentage of CBD you're going to get? Are you going to get higher or are you going to get too hot because of your good healthy soils? Are you worried about that? I'm not worried about it, but I'm going to monitor it. And I have no idea where it's going. I would like to say, I would like to think that it's going to be um you know maybe better than some but i don't know we'll see i'm i'm not i'm just i just want to grow this stuff and see if we can go through a cycle here and, and come out alive <laughs> so so yeah that's definitely something we'll be looking at so okay thanks Jim. thanks to steve groff and the pennsylvania no-till alliance for today's talk to listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Midwest Biotech, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.